0: Welcome to the Mile High Church Podcast. If you enjoy inspirational content, sign up for our daily pearls, and an inspiring spiritual quote will show up in your inbox daily. Sign up at milehighchurch.org. You know, one of the things I love most about the ideals of our country is that we honor the sacredness of the individual. We believe that freedom does not come to us from the state, but that it is divinely inherent in each one of us. Up to each one of us is to to realize it, and when we discover it in our thriving, our country thrives. It only takes one opportunity to change a person, one person to transform a nation, one nation to transform the world. Arguably, the greatest American was born Frederick Bailey. He was born to a loving but emotionally distant mother. And the man who was most likely his father, he didn't call father, but master. And Mr. Bailey must have had some compassion for his son because When he was 10 years old, he sent him to Baltimore, Maryland, to be a play companion of a family associate, the Ald family. And young Frederick was inspired by the city of Baltimore, this growing city full of commerce, shipbuilding, the beginnings of laying down of the railroad. There was about 80,000 people that made up the population at the time, about 60,000 of them were white, and about 16,000 of them were black, about 90% of them considered free at that time. When Frederick was 10 years old, uh, the, the mother of the house was reading aloud uh, the book of Job, ironically a book about um, the suffering of human beings and trying to explain that in light of the existence of God. And he, and he asked Mrs. Ald to teach him to read. And she did. And he continued to learn and to realize and to cultivate the genius of who he would become. When Mr. Ald heard about this several months later, he scolded his wife. The worst thing that you can do For a slave is teach him to read. Soon he will no longer want to do work. Next he'll want to learn to write. Frederick would reflect later that it was the first anti-slavery speech he ever heard. And he would dedicate his genius first to realizing and getting his legal freedom. But then... He would go even beyond that because he knew that personal freedom isn't enough, that real freedom is only when we dedicate ourselves to the freedom of those around us. And for over 50 years, this man who would become Frederick Douglass would unarguably become our greatest orator and would speak to audiences throughout the country. And you know how our countries, like Jefferson, has said always like 51 to 49 when we're trying to figure things out. We all love liberty, we all love freedom, we all love justice, but we have these different ideas about how to apply it, sometimes bitterly, sometimes violently. But for Frederick Douglass, even through his experience of being a a slave, he, he would share quite profoundly, I know of no soil better adapted to the growth of reform than American soil, I know of no country where the conditions for effecting great changes in the settled order of things for the development of right ideas of liberty and humanity are more favorable than here in the United States. And we can have a long discussion about why he would say something like that. But part of it is because he not only believed in abolition of slavery and would influence Lincoln in articulating the Emancipation Proclamation, but he believed that the best opportunity for all of us Americans was in this country, in its ideals, in carrying it forward. And it would lead again to what we might call the second birth of our nation, the Emancipation Proclamation. Of this 51 to 49, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, the course of history is directed by the choices we make and our choices grow out of the ideas, the beliefs, the values, the dreams of the people. It is not so much the powerful leaders that determine our destiny as the much more powerful influence of the combined voice of the people themselves. And yet it takes people like Frederick Douglass, thriving Americans, to help influence and bring that 49 into being the 51, to help us progress in moving forward. It takes one opportunity, To change a person, one person to change a nation, one nation to change the world. In 1917, a group of women did something in front of the White House for the first time. They picketed. Their leader, a woman named Alice Paul, believed that the key to getting uh, uh, an amendment to the Constitution ensuring the right for women all over the nation to be able to vote, it was already legal in several states, including here in Colorado, was dependent upon influencing the President of the United States at the time, Woodrow Wilson. Alice Paul had grown up in Pennsylvania, a Quaker family that believed in equal rights between men and women. She became educated and became a social worker and she loved working individually, one-on-one with people, but her heart called to make a bigger difference for people in general. She got the opportunity on a scholarship to study in England where she heard Emmeline Pankhurst, a suffragette there, speak, and it inspired her to find her calling of women's rights. She would come back and organize this protest in front of the White House, which was initially seen as a great media story. It had some circus around it, but then America entered World War I, the Great War, And they started using Woodrow Wilson's comments about freedom and liberty for all against them on the signs. I think we have a slide or two that shows that. And so people were outraged, and these women were arrested, many of them brutally beaten in jail. Alice Paul went on a hunger strike and was force-fed. And this awoke, as discrimination often does, the conscience of our country, and the the women uh, were forced to be released. And it convinced Woodrow Wilson, to back a 19th Amendment. That year in 1917, it would come up for a vote in the Senate, and it would fail by two votes. It'd come up again the next year in 1918, and it would fail by one vote. Isn't that interesting? In our country, just one vote can withhold or bring forth the progress of humanity in our country. Just one vote. The next year, 1919, it passed, but it had to be ratified. It came down to the state of Tennessee, and it wasn't looking good. There was a gentleman there named Harry Byrne who was an anti-suffragette who, before he voted, got a stern talking to by his mother. <laughs> he voted yes. And, and there, there we may say we had a third birth of our country in 1919. It takes one opportunity to change a person, one person to change a nation, one nation to change the world, and I would argue that even when progress seems to be held back, that even when we're one vote short, that it's still always our destiny because of the ideals, the prayer that is America to always work towards greater freedom, greater inclusivity, greater equity, greater justice for all. We can't help it as much as we struggle or may struggle along the way. I believe what Ernest Holmes said. He said, I know that divine intelligence governs the destiny of the United States of America, directing the thought and the activity of all who guide its affairs. I know that success, prosperity, and happiness are the gifts of freedom and the divine heritage of everyone in this country. I know that divine guidance enlightens the collective mind of the people of this country. I know that no one can believe or be led to believe that personal freedom must be surrendered in order to ensure economic security for all. I know that this spiritual democracy shall endure, guaranteeing to everyone in this country personal liberty, happiness, and self-expression. And taking an honest moment here, it's been a challenging year in America this year, right? Pandemics. Pandemics. Calls for more racial justice, politics, all of it. That for some of these, these statements for some people in this room might be hard to say amen to. Why we might struggle with them. But we have to be willing to say these words that home speaks for our country, for ourselves. See if you can identify with saying, I know divine intelligence governs my destiny. I know success, prosperity, and happiness are the gift of freedom in my divine heritage. I know divine guidance enlightens my mind. I know my freedom need not be surrendered for anything. In 1941, General George Marshall got an incredible opportunity for probably the hardest job in the world, which was becoming the military chief of staff in the middle of the deadliest time in human history. He stepped into this position aware of the threat of the invention of fascism by Mussolini in Italy, of the rise of an even more terrorizing figure in Adolf Hitler in Germany, taking over Europe, an expanding, threatening empire in Japan at the time. And he had to not only focus on those problems in the world, but something perhaps even more challenging, the United States Congress moving forward, a bitterly divided Congress towards doing what was best for the country. He knew that he had to convince these individuals to vote to extend the duty of over 600,000 troops who were completing their terms in the military, and even beyond that, National Guard service people. This is in a country that was greatly anti-war at the time. Roosevelt, we see as one of our greatest presidents today, wasn't seen like that during that time, especially by his... Republican brothers and sisters. And so they saw George Marshall as a representative of him, and so he, he brought in all of these Republicans in particular into a, a room, and they stayed up till 3 a.m. talking about uh, the importance of voting for this resolution. And one of them would say to Marshall, you put the case very well, but I'll be damned if I'm going to go along with Mr. Roosevelt. Marshall replied, you are going to let plain hatred of personality dictate to you Something that you realize is very harmful to the country. Does that sound familiar? Yes. The Senate would vote to pass the resolution. These were brave senators knowing that it was coming up in an election year and they, they probably wouldn't get reelected. They didn't know what would happen in the Congress. It was a chaotic day. Even Sam Rayburn, the Speaker of the House, had no idea what was going to happen. It was a chaotic day. Um, There were anti-war protesters all over the place, weeping mothers, angry Democrats and Republicans yelling, vote yes, vote no, uh, all, all mixed in together. And the vote came through and Rayburn saw it on a little piece of paper, 203 to 202. a gentleman uh, by the name of Dewey Jackson Short, part of the committee to keep America out of the war, meant to call for a reconsideration, which would mean they would vote over again. Again, he accidentally called for a recapitalization of the vote. Rayburn, knowing the rules, was able to make it final. One vote, and I will be a little overdramatic here, one vote perhaps changed the course of history for the entire world in that very moment. Only takes one opportunity to change a person. Only takes one person to change a nation. It Only takes one nation to change the world. I would argue, although there were challenges that we could have long discussions about along the way, that through that experience, when America was attacked on December 7th, 1941, at least we had something. We didn't have the army we needed. And those brave men and women helped. America be a bastion for freedom in the world, a beacon for a greater way of living that people still strive for, and hopefully we still strive to be as a country for others today. And I just want to take a moment to honor and recognize all of our veterans in the room. Are you here? Would you please identify yourself? Thank you for your service to our country. Alice Paul said, I always feel the movement is a sort of mosaic. Each of us puts in one little stone and then you get a great mosaic at the end. Isn't that a great way to think about our country? What is the stone that you are contributing to your nation? What are you bringing forth? You know, a lot of us, some of us might think of our uh, government like, uh, like an abusive father. Some of us might think of our government as too much of a doting mother too much in all of our affairs and business. Some of us think of our government like big brother. But I wonder sometimes if it might be wiser if we thought of our government like a child. And perhaps even think of our government as something that hasn't aged, our country, is something that hasn't aged year by year, but perhaps has had these many birthdays through these revolutionary events. July 4th, 1776. January 1st, 1862, the Emancipation Proclamation, August 1919, the 19th Amendment, December 7th, 1941, when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Maybe there's been many bursts before or since that I'm missing, but perhaps we could see that our call isn't to look for a government to do so much for us, but to see that we are here as thriving Americans to help guide it when it's mistaken to help get it on its course, to help bring it forward, to continue to be in alignment with its ideals. If we're not thriving, if you're not thriving, none of us are thriving. That's the importance of that American message. And I am, You're never shy to speak to social issues from the pulpit, but I, I avoid talking politics from the pulpit because I get to talk to you and you don't get to talk back. It's not fair. <laughs> get me anywhere else in the class. We're always there. But there's... There's, to me, a, an anti americanness that's in our country on the fringes these days, that although I respect the people, I, I don't respect the ideas very much. There are people, and perhaps people in this room, um, who struggle with this idea of loving your country. And it in no way is my place to say, you should love your country. But I would ask you, what would it take to love your country? What would it take to love your country for the first time or to love it again? Because in that is your stone to contribute to the evolution of the ideals of this great nation. Three ways to love your country to leave with today. The first, defend criticism. Criticism. Freedom of speech is a great thing, and may anyone who criticizes this country, it needs it from time to time, be protected in that, and especially defend the rights of the people that you disagree with that are criticizing it. But abhor hatred. Abhor hatred. Wherever we have practiced hatred as a nation, we have stagnated and held ourselves back from any sort of moral progress. Where we have chosen inclusivity, understanding civil discourse, we have grown and progressed. I love something Justice Breyer of the Supreme Court once said. He said, two informal conventions at the court help maintain good relations. First unwritten rule is that nobody speaks twice until everybody speaks once at the conference. Great rule. Everybody feels they're treated fairly. Second, tomorrow is another day. Second, don't be afraid to take a position. Margaret Thatcher, a friend of Americans, once said that those who stand in the middle of the road get run over. (laughs) She wasn't saying, don't be a, a, a centrist. I consider myself a centrist. She was saying, on the issues of the day, don't be afraid to take a position. Learn about history. Research the possible options. Let us not just rush to the sensational headline that sounds good. Study and take that position, and use the spirit of our, our teaching of staying open at the top and listening to other people 's great greater ideas we 're faced with so many challenges today around guns, around health care, around racial justice, around political divisiveness. Take your position and begin begin to be a part of moving us forward instead of keeping us stagnant and lastly, so important to remember that as much as we treasure personal freedom real freedom is dedicating ourselves to a power greater than we are to seek to play a part in greater freedom for all I one of my favorite things that ernest holmes said because it's kind of funny but it's so true he said our thinking doesn't change reality at all Some people think it does, but it never flattened the world when they thought it was flat. It only flattened their experience on a round one. When someone knew it was round, he could navigate it. Don't be a flat earther about your country. Don't be a flat earther about your place in your country. Know that when we see the roundness of the vision for our country, that it's designed to be a spiritual expression of a beacon for light to all, to realize freedom within themselves, freedom for those around them, freedom for people not just here who are citizens of the United States, but all over the world, we are embracing a vision for a greater humankind. Do we screw up and fall down along the way? Yes. But if we can't hold that vision of where we're going we're just gonna keep being dizzy. We're just gonna keep feeling stagnant. When we can remember and come together in this grand vision, we can move forward. The work is difficult, it's painful, it's challenging, and yet there's nothing more rewarding or life-affirming in the world than being a part of this one vision that we share together of creating lives of freedom for you and for me and for all. So moving into prayer this morning, I'm so excited today to invite all of our practitioners in the room who choose to stand and rise with me for this prayer. And for the first time in a long time, our practitioners are going to be available in front of the stage this morning for affirmative prayer. So grateful for them and their consciousness. And I do want to just hold into heart a long-time congregant named Shirley Wiley, who recently made her transition and made so many contributions to this church, we're celebrating her life on Tuesday. And just in this sanctuary of consciousness, in this divine knowing, in this divine guidance, may all who choose to join me let us say a prayer for freedom, a prayer for justice, a prayer prayer for equality, a prayer for the genius that has been brought forth through so many great Americans that calls us to not only thrive ourselves, but to be a thriving presence for others. Frederick Douglass knew this freedom. Alice Paul knew this freedom. George Marshall knew this freedom. May each of us choose to know and embody this freedom today and know that by living in accordance with our highest vision, not only of ourselves, but for our country, we can be a presence for the magnificent unfolding of those divine qualities that bring you and I into being, into this human form, into this way of becoming. We celebrate that divine life in all, knowing it heals, it reveals, it inspires, it listens deeply and it carries the echo of heroes and heroines past, that legacy of freedom that finds its next page in its chapter through you, your knowing, your understanding, and your willingness to continue to move forward. We give thanks for this and we let it be. And so it is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.